We're starting each episode of Digital Workplace Impact with a little digital workplace insight courtesy of our sponsor, WorkGrid Software. And WorkGrid are innovators and technical experts, but they're also a company that is very curious about the future. And I think for me, a great example is this of this is one of their co-founders, Gillian McCann. Gillian is WorkGrid's head of cloud engineering and AI. She's an inspiring example of a woman leading a technology startup. And we need a lot more people like Gillian. She actually went to university in Belfast in Northern Ireland. She worked for Liberty Mutual, that was the company that spun off WorkGrid as a software uh, enterprise. And she brings thought leadership, passion to the subject of cloud, AI, and machine learning. There's a lot going on with cloud post and during COVID that I'm really getting my head around. And we need more people like Gillian to move the digital workplace forward. The center of gravity from work pre-COVID had already become digital, but it was almost like we hadn't caught up with ourselves yet culturally. Uh, in terms of habits and patterns. And what, what's happened is that the culture's caught up with the technology. And I think irrespective of the fact that people will start coming back into physical workplaces, first of all, in 2021, it's going to be very different everywhere. A, because different countries and cultures will approach that in their own unique way. The other thing is that different countries are going to be at different stages of, if you like, reintegration or re-normalization. Do you remember when people apparently in the early 21st century, 20th century, they used to all kind of pack onto trains in the morning, they all used to commute, then they'd all go home in night and do the two hours again the next morning. That world like that is gone. Digital Workplace Impact is brought to you by the Digital Workplace Group. DWG is a strategic partner covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry through membership, benchmarking, and boutique consulting services. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. Well, hello, everyone, and a warm welcome from Nancy Goble, Managing Director at Digital Workplace Group, where day to day I spend time in conversation with our members exploring all aspects of digital workplace practices and programs. Today, I'm happy to step into the Digital Workplace Impact Studio, and it's an opportunity for me to have a chat with Paul Miller, who's typically our podcast host, and over the next few minutes, have a chance to talk a little bit about his predictions for the digital workplace going into 2021. And you can think of this as an opportunity to turn the table from Paul's normal role as host to interviewee while we explore his 10 predictions for 2021. Paul, I'm just delighted to have a chance to welcome you into the studio in a new role today. Yeah, this is quite surreal, Nancy. I'm being welcomed to my own podcast. <laughs> yes, it's, I, I feel like I'm in one of those scenes out of the Christopher Nolan film Inception, where, where reality's turned upside down, but it's great to be here. 
Another analogy would be uh, Allison looking through the uh, looking glass too as well. So I, I'm really excited to join you in the studio today, Paul. I know you've been writing predictions for the digital workplace for quite a few years at this point, but of course there may be some who are yet unfamiliar with your predictions for the digital workplace. Can you share a little bit about how they came into being and um, how they can benefit our community? Sure. Well, I, I started doing them in 2014. Why? I, I think I started doing them because I tend to sort of think in patterns and I tend to look for patterns. So like yourself, Nancy, I spend an awful lot of time talking to senior digital leaders inside lots of different organizations. And what I wanted to do uh, in 2014 or just in 2013, ahead of 2014, was to start laying out what were then intranet predictions and what then evolved into digital workplace predictions, really just to kind of spot patterns, trends, things that seemed like they were going to be affecting the year ahead. And certainly when I think about our digital workplace community, everyone's always trying to create almost a line of sight for what's coming because the leaders of the, the organizations they work with are trying to understand where the industry is going, what the implications are for the employee experience, among other things. And so, um, of course, we had a chance to preview your predictions as part of a member session just before year end. And within that conversation, you shared a look back at your 2020 predictions, almost like a self-assessment. And uh, I'm curious as to whether you could share a few highlights and, and why you take stock on the year before when this is all about looking ahead. Well, well to start with, why do I take stock on the year before? One thing is just to kind of get a sense of how I actually did um, and to see whether I'm, you know, mainly kind of getting things right. But also, I think if you're going to predict the year ahead, uh, why listen to somebody's predictions unless they've told you what their track record is? So, um, you know, we criticise economists, don't we, for sort of predicting things and then not really kind of reviewing their own homework. So I wanted to do that and I've done my review of how I did in 2020. I mean, 2020 was a uh, a year like no other. So uh, I was quite pleased that, that in 2020, I still managed to get a reasonable amount of my predictions right, uh, a little bit lower than than uh, previous years. I'd, I'd kind of, my stellar year was 2018, where I got eight and a half out of 10. Uh, 2019, I got seven out of 10. And I was almost there with that on in 2020, you know, but uh, it was a six out of 10. But I think given how strange 2020 was, I, I think I can live with that one. What happens with the uh, this dress rehearsal, if you like, that you mentioned that we we did with our member organizations in in 2020 ahead of 2021 is to find out which of the predictions are sort of resonating with people, which ones might be a little bit kind of sort of intriguing or but not quite there. And, and one of the things that really stood out for me when we were doing the first round with the predictions was 
the whole focus around learning and development. And it had been a slightly buried prediction in the first draft of the 2021 and then get rose up in its importance and stature, if you like, uh, for the final version. And it's uh, it's there as as prediction number two. I feel like if you're you're doing this sort of predictive work, you've got to keep iterating and refining based on what what people are telling you. Well, it sounds like a very powerful process. And it also makes me think of what we do in our, our benchmarking activities. And of course, we, we take a look um, over time at how organizations are performing to give them a sense of where they stand vis-a-vis their uh, baseline. So this feels very much uh, in that spirit and uh, taking a, a critical self-look and, and using that to inform recommendations for the next um, add gravitas to the process. So before we dive into your predictions, I have one more level set question for you, and that is, how did writing these predictions during COVID-19 impact either your scope or your approach? Mm, not that much, actually. I mean, one of the things that's been said about COVID is that it accelerated patterns, particularly workplace patterns that were already there. So if you think about the move to flexible remote working, the increasing focus around the digital world of work rather than the physical world of work, an increasing focus around frontline work, these these things were all there pre-COVID. So I think COVID has affected what's going to happen in 2021 in the same way that 2020 has affected what's going to happen in 2021. And as Sachin Nadella said, we got 10 years of digital transformation in a matter of months. So that's affected what's coming in 2021. But the process was the same. Lots of conversations with lots of people in organisations. And, and, you know, I've now started writing the predictions for 2022, at least making notes on what things we're going to be talking about. And, and clearly there's going to be things about what this thing that we called the office is going to look like um, in 2022. Is the office actually a construct of the pre-COVID world and that these places where we meet and work together going forward? Are they are they the kind of post-COVID world? And will we need another term other than office? So you can see the way that, that kind of my mind, for better or worse, kind of goes, yeah. I guess. And, and I'd add that when I look back at 2020, it was really the year that uh, was an accelerator for the digital workplace programs inside of many organizations. And I know through uh, your thinking over the course of the year, you really dubbed it the, the decade of courage. And I'm really curious to see how emboldened these new digital workplace teams and leaders will be now that they have a powerful platform for business resiliency, business continuity, um, and, and the digital workplace as a strategic asset of companies um, is now really part of mainstream conversation. So with that, Paul, why don't we dive into your predictions? Sure. Let's start off with prediction number one, um, which could seem a little bit mundane, a little bit uh, prosaic, but it's it's essentially around cost cutting. And it really says that the days of financial austerity for intranets in the wider digital workplace 
return for hard hit economic sectors. So the the sectors that have been most um, impacted by the pandemic will have to experience and go through financial austerity. And my reference point here is the 2008 financial crash. And, and, you know, you and I will remember that after that period, there was a level of belt tightening that happened, certainly within the intranet industry. And, and I think we should expect and see that happening, making do with more teams that have been reduced, particularly for airlines, travel, hospitality, physical retail. They're going to be experiencing that level of cost constraint. And the, and the good thing I would say is that we've known from experience that intranet digital workplace teams are very good at making a little amount go an awful long way. Uh, and, and then the bigger picture, and each prediction has its own, if you like, bigger picture, uh, which was something that I got from Alex Bevan at uh, American Express, who said, I think it's great that you look ahead a year, but what about looking ahead a few years? And the bigger prediction around this austerity one is that the austerity period will pass, but retaining capacity in your digital workplace team to know how to manage through tough times will remain of great value. And it's really kind of part of the, it'll be there as part of the insurance policy, if you like, for the future. So that's um, prediction number one. And I guess the, the thought that this sparks for me is that oftentimes in the past, digital workplace teams have struggled with lots of splintered efforts across their organizations and, and working at cross purposes and sometimes, um, you know, spreading expenses across lots of initiatives that didn't necessarily hang together as a nice puzzle. But in this environment, I think there'll be uh, a lot more discernment around how monies get spent. And it creates the room for the walls that existed previously to come down. So people are working cross-functionally. Yeah, I mean, and there's going to be a real tension, isn't there? Because as you said, the you know, what we saw, I mean, the center of gravity from work pre-COVID had already become digital, but it was almost like we hadn't caught up with ourselves yet culturally in terms of habits and patterns. And what, what's happened is that the culture's caught up with the technology. And now the question is, as organizations say, okay, essentially our center of gravity is going to be digital. So we need to uh, invest, in concentrate, focus on that. And on the other hand, there's going to be a lot of um, pain as as organisations start to recover from such a kind of uh, financial setback as as we've experienced. Part of that recovery process, people are talking about, you know, the the pace of change moving uh, that much more quickly, and so I think that really sets the tone for your prediction number two around learning and development. Tell us about that. That really came to me when I did a talk at for Standard Bank, who are based in South Africa. And, and they really latched onto the prediction uh, around learning and development. And what they said, there's, uh, th- they as an organization had really focused strongly on that in 2020. And I, I, I've sort of elevated this one saying learning and development will ramp up 
to improve digital literacy, innovation, and new ways of working for a changed and still unfamiliar working environment and economy. And really what it's saying is that I think organizations uh, are concerned that their organization is fragmented. Um, I think the isolation, the, 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 the remote work, yes, it's, it's coped. Yes, we've managed to use it in a way that we really needed. On the other hand, what have we lost in the process? And I think there's that sense that where are we learning? How are we growing? How are we building community inside the organization? So I think this one is really bringing home the importance of reinvesting in the knowledge base of the organization. And there's an example that I mentioned about one European energy producer who discovered in 2020 that they were able to ensure that 95% of their workforce could work from home, including, and I found this incredible, operating power stations remotely and securely with just a skeleton staff on site. So that was an example of an organization where the the digital capacity, the digital innovation was already there. Contrast that with a U.S. homeware retailer who really struggled to scale up their online offerings for several months in the first half of 2020. I discovered that the same thing's been happening right across retailers in France who quite amazingly, had virtually no digital footprint, some of the major uh, kind of brand names. But within a matter of months, they'd really shifted into retail uh, online offerings. So I think that's going to be an important focus area. And the bigger picture one on this is that continual incremental learning driven by AI will flow through all organizations and their wider ecologies of work with suppliers and partners. And while the digital IQ of people will have increased significantly, they'll be learning based on the on the health of the system. And what's that saying is that unlike organizations, if you like, in a top-down way, deciding where they need to focus in terms of learning and development, the technology will start personalizing your learning, helping you with your learning. I mean, the, the kind of app that comes to mind for me is Duolingo, who it learns how you learn. And then it learns based on that, how to help you learn and that iterative process of uh, intelligent learning. So that's prediction number two. And I'd add another layer to the personalization point, Paul, and that is because there are so many complexities around what has really emerged as the distributed workforce that putting extra time and attention around the leadership development component here, I think will take on added importance this year because uh, so many managers have been accustomed to managing by walking around, even in this modern age, pre-COVID. Now, all of a sudden, how do you drive innovation? How do you drive collaboration? across groups of people who are no longer sitting together in a conference room in the same way they had in the past, means a whole new discipline around leadership and management practices. Yeah, and that's, that's, a, that's a great segue um, into the third prediction, which is that, that leaders extend empathy using digital spaces to listen to and engage with a widely distributed workforce, strengthening their cultures. 
Oh, there's so much in this. I mean, one of the most amazing things to me from 2020 was the organization started listening. And I, it really stays with me. There was one financial services organization. They'd got an extensive operation in China and the Far East. And it was in January of 2020. And the virus was taking hold there. People were being at home. They, they were in major levels of lockdown before we even knew what the word meant. And And they were kind of telling people, well, hold on a second. This is what needs to happen. And then they had people in the calls, in the meetings, sort of breaking down, saying, you know, we can't work. We're at home. We've got our parents here. We've got all of this. The kids are at home. We don't know which way is up. And we're scared. And all of a sudden, this organization started kind of just listening and adapting. And that word came into the kind of lexicon for 2020, which was empathy, the ability to listen and understand other people's feelings. And I think we've seen that the best leaders in 2020, and they've been extensive, have been empathizing with their workforce. I mean, it's quite interesting recently that we saw at KPMG, one of the major, uh, I think, uh, one of the senior leaders had to resign because of a lack of empathy, so telling people essentially to kind of pull the stops, uh, the socks up and stop moaning. You know, a few days later, he was gone. And, and I think that's the kind of context for leadership that we're now in. I think the other part of this is, and I think once leaders have experienced or had a taste of that, it's not something you go, well, I'll just sort of switch that uh, aspect of myself off. It's something that that's going to be there. I mean, there's um, on the blog that accompanies the predictions on, on our website, links in the show notes. Duke Energy's CEO, uh, Lynn Good, was communicating regularly with employees through their intranet, went down extremely well. And I think irrespective of the fact that people will start coming back into physical workplaces, first of all, in 2021, it's going to be very different everywhere. A, because different countries and cultures will approach that in their own unique way. The other thing is that different countries are going to be at different stages of, if you like, reintegration or re-normalization. And so the the place where we know people will be, will be in the digital workplace. And I would suggest that leaders are going to have to continue to communicate at their best in those environments, um, because I think it's going to be quite fragmented where they can do that in the, uh, the physical environments. And the bigger picture one around this is that the experience of rapid decision making, which leaders have experienced married with that lack of politics and bureaucracy. How come we did things so well? It's going to really start to chip away at some of the levels of um, uh, kind of bureaucracy uh, so they can get closer to the front line. Um, just to kind of argue against that, um, there's a recent McKinsey podcast I was listening to where they said that, you know, the, the middle management is constantly under threat and felt to be disappearing. Um, and actually, 
it's one of those things that when it's gone, you 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 realise what you're missing. So it's kind of debatable where that's one's going to go. But I do think this accelerated decision making, getting much closer to the front line of the organisation, to the essential workers, the key workers, is is going to be really important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think this um, this newfound empathy. Um, takes leadership out of the ivory tower and allows for more constructive dialogue around where organizations need to be growing and going and having that direct input through uh, some of the the channels that allow for authentic and real-time collaboration really pose new opportunities for reimagining the cultures of organizations that have been top-down for so many years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, so prediction number four, knowledge management takes centre stage yet again. I say yet again because knowledge management is, is, is kind of one of those management theories, concepts that people keep trying to sort of discard, but it keeps coming back and it keeps coming back because we need to manage and knowledge and harness knowledge. But it comes back, it takes centre stage again as part of an ongoing adaptation to working in a distributed and hybrid way of working, accelerated by the pandemic. So, you know, if you look at the likes of EY, Ubisoft, the games manufacturer, Volvo, they've shown that a relentless focus on ensuring knowledge flows through systems and people is essential. And companies will seek to deliver, I think, robust access to a wider pool of expertise, collaboration, insights. You know, the organization's data is going to be so front and center. And I suspect also the the pandemics, the way that the pandemic has brought science, data, analysis, the phrase that everybody's using in the UK now is we're going to be driven not by dates, but by data. And, you know, you align that with intelligent systems and it's going to be another strong year for for knowledge management. And I think that's going to be, we've seen that deliver vaccines through the incredible way that knowledge has been harnessed across healthcare, the military, uh, logistics, supply chains, different regions. I mean, in a way, COVID-19 is, a, is an exercise in knowledge management. I mean, the, 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 the sequencing of, of different genes and so on around this, it's, it's, it's been patchy, but it's certainly been remarkable. Um, and the bigger picture one around knowledge management Uh, rather like the one around learning is that the capacity for AI and intelligent systems to work in harmony with human beings enables new new levels of knowledge to share and grow at dramatically richer levels. And it's this interaction between what we know and what we can be helped to know more about through uh, systems understanding the way we learn and what we know uh, and it would be about it, that in the bigger picture will be ex- about extracting true insights and equipping everyone with access to vast amounts of knowledge that exist across the organization and synthesizing that to what you know. I think we're going to move from a period, not necessarily this year, but 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 just thinking forward where we move from information overload to a level of, of knowledge and perspective. We don't need more information 
we, we need more knowledge. And Paul, I dare say that as knowledge management goes through this resurgence, there'll be an added challenge for human resource professionals, and that is to reimagine performance management systems that work hand in glove with that. Because for so long, those systems have been tied around the performance of the individual. And as um, the walls that, that hold knowledge silos in place crumble, then um, arguably you need systems in place that recognize and reward sharing and taking that information and doing something impactful with it to support the uh, impact of an organization. Yes, so that's absolutely. And, and um, that, that sort of leads into prediction number five. And that is that enterprise technology providers innovate in order to free organizations from, the con- from some of the constraints caused by the relentless rise of Microsoft. And, and this is not a Microsoft bashing exercise because I think uh, in Office 365, in Microsoft Teams, and now with Viva, we're seeing that there's true innovation happening across what Microsoft is bringing into the world of work. On the other hand, as you and I know, organizations, and particularly large organizations, don't want to feel so um, uh, hooked into one particular system that no other options are possible. So I think we can see in the Salesforce acquisition of Slack, uh, the rise of, of Amazon in this space, that there will be levels of new innovation that happen. And we're seeing larger levels of investment going into organizations who are providing not necessarily sort of alternatives to Microsoft, though in some cases, if you look at Workplace by Facebook, that's an example of ones that do, but they have to work with Microsoft. And, you know, there's a lovely um, image that uh, has been captured on the blog that uh, accompanies this from Oxfam Internationals. And they have a really strong digital workplace. And it's based on a best of breed approach using a range of Microsoft and non-Microsoft technologies. And, and they bring in things like ServiceNow, Workplace, Box, DocuSign, to show that these these different worlds can, can coexist. But I mean, Microsoft, I think, will continue to be the, the dominant platform, particularly for, for large organizations. And the bigger picture one around this is that the digital space will merge far more combining elements that we might consider to be either inside or outside. So this is really saying this idea of the digital workplace and, and the world outside of the enterprise start to uh, combine far more I think that the, this will include new platform options uh, from the external world. I think the interesting people to watch are organizations like Adobe who are coming from the, if you like, the external uh, uh, space and, and Amazon simply because of their uh, level of firepower. And I think at the core of this is always making sure that as um, all of these new capabilities are coming to the marketplace and maturing that the digital workplace teams are really putting the employee experience at the center and understanding 
what tool is right for what needs and, and how to integrate the experience so it hangs together. Yeah. So uh, prediction number six, and I like to try and vary the sort of, if you like, the kind of pace of these to touch on different aspects or different ones for different people. So this is really to say that virtual, augmented and mixed reality uh, online meetings enable new experiences of emotional connection. I think one of the downsides of 2020 has been how, in a way, how poor and disappointing the remote working tools are. There's a kind of monotony to the two-dimensional flat screen. I mean, people were quite excited about Teams, WebEx, Zoom in the early days. And then it's like, it's just everybody looks exactly the same. And we really don't get that quality of the physicality of meeting each other. And we've been predicted for so long that we would get holographic, sensory experiences of each other uh, and we would have them virtually. And and if ever there's been a case to develop them, it's been 2020. I mean, you know, for if you look at, on a different level, L'Oreal, uh, the makeup company's uh, example of the Makeup Genius app that allows customers to try on makeup remotely, or IKEA's mobile app that provides 2,000 IKEA products online and that allows users to point them point their device to a desired spot in a room and then drag it, drag it around, see what it's like uh, to, to, to do that. So I, I, I think we're, we're really uh, ready for something quite, quite different on that. The bigger picture one on this is that the two-dimensional Zoom and two Teams calls of today will seem archaic. You know how we look back at some of the first iterations of the internet and it looked it looks so disappointing to us. Well, I think that's what we're that's what it'll be like looking back at um, 2020, 2021. And once we pass through the point where our perception and our senses convince us that we're actually in the same room, we will then find out what virtual meetings and, and virtual connection uh, feels like, and it will be transformational. That sounds like quite a bold statement, and I certainly look forward to to seeing that reality move into the day-to-day. Shall we mm. move on to prediction number seven? Yeah, and, and just on the, yes, it's a bold prediction. I mean, the point is, it hasn't happened yet. And and so uh, by definition, if I keep predicting at some point, I've got to be right. <laughs> exactly, Paul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> If, if, if they first of all don't listen, then just keep saying the same thing again and again <laughs> until people tell you to be quiet. Um, so prediction number seven is that frontline and customer facing workers, a lot of them have been first line workers, key workers, finally enjoy the digital acceleration they always deserved. So you and I have talked about this and digital workplace group has talked about it, the digitally and disenfranchised. You know, all the people out there, all weathers doing the, 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 the heavy lifting of the organization, either in manufacturing situations, distribution, retail, and so on. And uh, irrespective of region and sector, this, the frontline, first-line workers, um, their status through the pandemic will mean they will uh, achieve the investment levels that they always deserved. And I, I can contrast um, DPD who arrive with different 
parcels at our house versus um, another provider. And the digital services of DPD versus the others are kind of, they're almost like living in a different kind of time frame. So we will start to see the importance of this. And and even if organizations don't necessarily want to do it because they're, they, they realize that these are the people who really matter um, so much in the organization, it's again going to provide the digital insurance policy because we know we're going to be living with this virus and other things like it for many years. So, you know, learn from the experience of 2020 and 2021 um, and there's a, a nice little um, screenshot from the clinical frontline clinical staff at the hospitals from region Skana in Sweden. And they've got a focused uh, workspace that's been so important to them during 2020. Uh, the bigger picture one on this is that power invest and investment will focus on the points where organizations actually deliver their services and products. New, highly portable and resilient tools and services will be available where they're most needed. And these services will be fully integrated with the customer experience. So should I just kind of keep on rolling in the interest of time, Nancy? For sure. Please do. So prediction number eight is that workplace analytics, data, behavioral insights are harnessed to help manage digital fatigue, well-being and workplace health. So it's really, I mean, in in that, uh, you mentioned it, the Decade of Courage manifesto, we said that COVID-19 transformed the digital workplace into the essential workplace. And what we're going to be seeing is this greater use of data and analytics uh, to really understand, I think it's going to be particularly strong around well-being, wellness, managing how people are working. Because particularly, I think managers and leaders have, have struggled to get a sense of where people are. And before they might have been able to sit down with them physically, have a coffee, have a chat. It's been so much harder. And and we need the data if you you know if you haven't seen somebody online con- connecting into a space where they normally collaborate, what's going on with them? Um, or if you're seeing people posting at three o'clock in the morning and then at four o'clock in the morning, and sometimes the kind of emotion around the message, you know, these are all really useful things within the kind of privacy uh, protocols of the organization. And the bigger picture one on this is that the desire to treat everyone in the organization as a human being with unique skills, patterns and needs in work and life lead to a healthier workplace. Um, I think workplaces in 2020 have, they've been different, but they don't think they've been healthier. I think in some ways they've been healthier, kind of, People have had more experience of the without the drain of commuting and so on, more flexibility, but there's also been a level of burnout. And we're going to have, again, intelligent systems revealing what's actually happening and work being able to flex to suit that. Then on to prediction number nine is everybody's favorite physical workplaces. Yes, we all remember them. They will make a welcome return. They haven't gone away. They will come back. We will come back to places where we can meet together. I think that's the thing we've all missed. But local workplace pods gain popularity as alternatives to working from home. So that's what we call working close to home, WCH, not WFH. And these are places where you can be either with people from your own organization or other organizations that aren't a long commute away, but are close to where you live. 
Again, this was a trend pre-COVID, but I think we've seen that particularly accelerate. And, and I think we're going to see, just as we saw the rise of WeWork after the 2008 crash and the freed up space in urban centres created co-working, I think we're going to see it in suburban, rural and semi-rural spaces. The bigger picture one on this is that local work pods close to where people live will just become normal. And the central office will become um, almost kind of part of the history of work. When I say the central office, the the long commute, 7,000 people, 5,000 people in one building. I mean, the CEO of, of Barclays at the beginning of the pandemic wondered whether these large kind of monoliths would be part of the past. And I, I, I think they, they will be, you know, Bill Gates is talking about maybe offices rotating on different days, different organizations, making better use of the space, re, um, reconfiguring them for uh, live work accommodation. And I think in, in some parts in the uh, times in the future, you remember where you go around museums and you go to kind of living museums where you look at the way that people used to live and they'll talk about the days when, do you remember when people apparently in the uh, early 21st century, 20th century, they used to all kind of pack onto trains in the morning. They all used to commute. Then they'd all go home in nine doing the two hours again the next morning. That world like that is gone. And I guess, you know, just the reflection for me is, is that, um, when people do come together, whether it's in the co-working spaces or invariably back to HQ for, for certain meetings, it'll be for those moments that matter around um, creating that connective tissue, that glue from a team building point of view or um, to, to think about the future as opposed to it just being part of, uh, part of the day to day. And I think that gives us opportunity to really pick those moments that matter to come together hmm. uh, as and when. Yeah. And, and that's so true, isn't it? it you know, it, it's, you know, when we meet each other and you and I have experienced that, you know, we, we, we always have at least two opportunities, even though we're on different continents to meet each year for our big brother houses, where we, where all the management team kind of um, spend a whole week together, uh, sharing accommodation and, and, and working together. And, and those are really special times, aren't they? And God, I miss that. <laughs> you know, I know that the world is kind of, uh, righted itself when we can have our our next big brother house in london or new york so um prediction number 10 uh, large organizations open new digital headquarters where everybody's welcome you know in 2017 us insurer northwestern mutual was planning the gala opening of its new physical hq called the commons uh, in milwaukee and was understandably very proud uh, and then the digital workplace team connected alongside with a new idea that gained traction, which was called the Digital Commons, a digital HQ for the organization that everybody could participate in. And this idea of a digital sister. And I think this uh, year is the year for the digital HQ, because it doesn't matter whether you're Coca-Cola, IBM, Ikea, you can have, you know, you can't bring everybody to your physical headquarters, but you can bring them into your digital headquarters. And I think there's so much opportunity to use some of the creativity that we see in real world architecture. Look at the amount of money and time and uh, investment spent on, on the physical offices, most of which are currently empty. 
that's starting to look like a kind of strange, did we invest correctly? What about if the digital world we go into is as distinctive as that? You know, you watch a film and you watch the film and the atmosphere of that film, you're in that virtual environment. You know, when you go into a digital workplace environment, it's sort of like many other organizations, digital environment, but the content change changes. But I think we could really change that. And that really gets me into um, the bigger picture run around the digital headquarters. And then if you roll forward a few years, um, what we'll see is that people who are digital architects, digital creators, the sorts of people with the skills in the online gaming world will get brought in like the physical architects to help shape the digital environments uh, for that particular organization. Um, and there's a nice um, uh, little screen grab from Cisco's very high performing uh, digital space um, that you can see on the uh, blog post that accompanies this. So that's the um, 10 organizations and 10 predictions for 2021. So the bad news, Nancy, is when I'm not hosting and I'm just left to talk, I, I take up so much time. It's good. <laughs> well, I have to say, I even though I've I've been through these predictions with you previously with the DWG members, I always have new thoughts popping into my mind as we, we work through them down to this last thought around the fact that I was so pleased to see this notion of the digital headquarters hit the list for 2021, because in so many conversations with members, we've been talking about the fact that they are starting to plan return to work websites or toolkits for people. And the caution that I put out to them was to make sure that they were thinking holistically about the people who continue to work at home and how they will need to interact in new and different ways with colleagues who are going back to the office so that there is an inclusive and creative and transformative workspace that continues for the organization. And this idea of the digital headquarters encapsulates that so beautifully. Yeah. And, um, you know, and thank you for, to, to Northwestern Mutual for kind of leading the charge on that one several years ago. So, uh, Nancy, I always um, conclude with a super prediction, which uh, tends to kind of try and stitch all of these things together. So the super prediction for 2021 and... I think this probably wouldn't have been the super prediction for 2021 had it not been for COVID. But th this is that most organizations in most countries begin to transform the way they work. Nothing special about that. But the shift in where we work will open new doorways for organizations to see themselves as living organizations, living systems, not as machines, but as forests. And to think of themselves uh, as not as organizations, but as organisms, as part of a new story of work for a living age. I'm shamelessly uh, taking from the new book that uh, Ian uh, Shimrick James have written, Nature of Work, The New Story of Work for a Living Age. Looks like a coffee table book about nature, but is actually a business book about work. Uh, but it's really saying, and we started writing it pre pre-COVID, that organizations are alive and think of themselves more like a forest. So if you think of, for instance, the root system of a forest, invisible 
to the to the eye, but influences the health of the forest. And think of the things that are invisible in any organization that, are, that you can't see that affect the organization, the culture, the level of innovation, the quality of communication, the language that the organization used to talk about itself, to talk about the, the world around it. And I think this is really going to amplify. I, I think it's something you see particularly in smaller organizations in the way that they that they do things in more local community-based organizations. But I think, you know, you can see in Unilever um, who are looking at becoming the world's largest B or better corporation committed to different ecological and social standards. Ecology is going to be fundamental to the future of work and the future of organizations. And if organizations didn't think they were alive pre-COVID, for better and for worse, they've They've discovered that of late. And one of the things I find extremely powerful about this new metaphor that you've introduced along with Shamrit is that for many years, the digital workplace and internets before that often felt like technology-led initiatives or technology in the search of a a solution or a story. And now with Mm. the introduction of the nature of work, we start to see pieces of a puzzle coming together across technology and people and places. And it starts to give a voice or a blueprint for how um, teams across organizations need to come together to shape a new employee experience that cuts across all of those dimensions. And so I'm sure we'll have a chance to talk about um, the nature of work in uh, future podcast Mm. series yeah and 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 sorry I didn't want to cut across you there Nancy but the 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 what you're saying and the eloquence with which you're saying it makes me uh, I think one of the pennies that's dropped for me is that um you know whether you look at intranets digital workplaces they were all if you like new capacity new innovation that was breathing life and vitality into an organization it connected people it built relationships it shared knowledge uh, they f- they they could seem quite technical, as you, as you said, but actually they were about bringing more vitality into systems, and that's why I think the nature of work and the idea of the living organisation is is an extension and a next step in that journey. I think the future of the digital workplace is not more digital. That will happen as part of it for sure. But I think the, the, the place that it takes us in to is this world of, of, of nature, of ecology, of living systems that includes the digital. So this, uh, and we, as we come into this uh, living age, kind of uh, can't escape opportunities to, to wax um, about the book. <laughs> well, I think this is just a great way to, tie this whole session together. Of course, um, for those who want to read your predictions in more detail, we'll be sure to include a link to the full blog post as part of the show notes. Um, But I guess just uh, to help us wrap this podcast up for today, um, any final reflections, Paul? Um, Even since I've written the predictions, they're now changing in my mind somewhat for better or for worse. So, you know, in a way, the predictions get put into these 
time blocks called years, because I think as human beings, that's how we tend to think about things. Uh, but they're really patterns flowing through. And, and if there's one or two that kind of resonate for people listening to it, um, do try and kind of share that across your organization, use it, try and kind of build on that. And um, uh, it's been a pleasure to chat to you about it, Nancy. Same here. It's been a real treat for me to have a chance to swap sides of the table here and uh, to have a chance to chat with you about your predictions. So thank you so much, Paul. It was uh, great fun for me. Great. Thank you. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions to advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces through benchmarking, research and practitioner expertise. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. And if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the show, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash DWG underscore score podcast. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until 